glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Stand if you would please. Galatians chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. O foolish Galatians who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you, this only would I learn of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain, He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Thank you. You may be seated. And if you look at chapter 3, Paul begins to get into the heart of what's wrong with the Galatians. He's asked them who's bewitched them. Now he's going to explain to them why he believes they're bewitched and what it means for them to have been deceived very clearly They were going back to observing the commandments of the Mosaic Law. Um, I read, I I forget the author last week, perhaps Mr. Uh, uh, Dr. M.R. DeHaan. I've read him a lot concerning the tabernacle and the book of Galatians, some other men I'm reading. And the point was made that under the law, God's grace is seen, but it was a dispensation of law. God putting in front of people the law of Moses in front of the nation of Israel, this is my law. And you either live in it, you keep the law and live, or you violate the law and die. And we know that as a nation, they violated the law. And uh, the law not only given to Israel, but applied to us as well. We are condemned by the law. The law of God is perfect. The law of Moses is good. Nothing wrong with it. But the fact is you and I cannot perform the requirements of the law. Uh, And so as we get into this, it's very clear some deceivers were coming along trying to tell the Galatians, worked on the Galatians, if you want to be a complete believer, you have to go back and keep the law. He mentioned circumcision, which was the... Uh, many times you have to understand when circumcision is mentioned, it is mentioned as a symbol of the law as a whole. And so the circumcision was the sign of the law. And so certainly it dealt with that ritual that for male babies and so forth. But it also speaks... Uh, if you would, metaphorically or symbolically of the law as a whole and going back under the law. And we know, if you read your New Testament, this is something that immediately began to confront the gospel is the Judaizers who claim to believe the gospel and yet were still counting on their performance of the law to save them. Paul left that behind. There were things he did with the law in order to solidify a platform from which to preach the gospel, but he had no confidence in performing the law as a means of righteousness whatsoever. And uh, Peter the same way. And so that's very clear as Paul begins to get into this that the Galatians were being brought back under performing the law as a means of righteousness before God. And so Paul's going to quiz them about that. In the first nine verses, he's dealing with a contrast. There's a contrast made. Are we justified? Are we, do we receive the Spirit of God by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Tonight's message is entitled that very thing. Works of the law or the hearing of faith. We'll establish what those two things mean here in the Scripture. But then he moves on to talk about the curse that comes on those who do not keep the law. If you're going to keep the law, he'll deal with this in verses 10 on down to about verse 16 or verse, uh, uh, verse uh, 13 or 14, uh, that, that the curse of the law is if you don't keep the law, you're cursed, and that how Christ was made a curse for us. And then it will go on and deal further with the rest of the chapter um, about the fact that the law, what is the purpose of the law? If the law is not a means of righteousness, then why does it exist? And he'll compare it back to the covenant that God made with Abraham and talk about the fact that the covenant with Abraham preceded the law. The law was not given to undo that covenant, but to clarify it and bring us to Christ. So the rest of the chapter will deal with the purpose of the law. If you find people today trying to 
discredit or speak evil of the law. You'll never find the Apostle Paul speaking evil of the law. He is constantly clarifying the purpose of the law. And so be careful of those today. There's two sides of this if you want to be careful against. There are still people like the Judaizers today who want to bring us back under some kind of performance or fulfillment of the law and will say, if you don't, you're not a real Christian. So, for instance, those who are part of the Adventist movement, many of them teach that Sunday worship is the mark of the beast. Sunday worship is the mark of the beast. That someone's saying, if you don't worship on Sabbath, on Saturday, you're not really a Christian. Now, if you confront them with that, many of them say, no, 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 we don't believe that. We believe you're Christians too. We just have a better understanding, meaning we're made perfect by keeping the law. <laughs> if you're going to pick part of the law, what they would say is you can't, if you're going to keep the Ten Commandments, you've got to keep the fourth one as well. I say, amen. But we're not striving to keep the Ten Commandments. We're striving to obey the Spirit of God who's living, who knows how to take the Bible and apply it to our lives every moment of every day. Let me ask you this. Let me try to give an illustration. My children, I can give them ten rules and say, you need to obey all these ten rules. And no, because they're my children, at some point in time they're going to break them. <laughs> and what I want to bring them to is, what I want you to do is any rule I give you, I want you to be attentive to knowing what I as your parent expect of you and you respond to that. I sh- but let me ask you, which is easier for a child? Give me ten rules, I'll memorize them, I'll make you think I'm keeping them all the time so you're happy with me. And then I don't have to worry about what you really want, just just keeping those ten rules. So you help me memorize ten rules on a page, and I'll do my best to keep them. And when I do, you call me an obedient son, and we'll call it square. Which is easier, memorizing ten rules and pretending you're obeying them all the time, or being constantly attentive to your parent, trusting them enough that you'll do what they tell you, meaning I'm not following a set of rules. I'm actually responding to a living person. I'll be honest with you. I think the responding living person would actually, in the end, be easier. But the fact of the matter is, in our flesh, we say, "Give me, give me the, give me the solution for righteousness, and I'll do it." Well, if that's the case, then we don't need Christ. <laughs> and in our flesh, we would rather have a list of ten things to spiritual bliss than have to learn to walk in the Spirit every moment of every day. See, Galatians is about by the Spirit or by the flesh. By the time we're done, that's the argument being made. Are we saved by the Spirit of God or by the works of the flesh? Are we sanctified by the Spirit of God or by the deeds of the flesh? By our performance or by our persuasion? Performance says, this is what I can do. Persuasion, God says, this is what I can do, and we believe Him. When you got saved, it wasn't about what you could do. It's about what He could do. You believed Christ could save you, and so you trusted him, and he did. You didn't perform anything. You believed God. Well, if you're going to go forward spiritually unto perfection, what's going to take? God's going to make some promises in his word. He's going to apply them to your life, and you have to decide whether or not you believe him. There are people, perhaps in this room tonight, you don't believe having victory over personal temptation is possible. If that's so, it's because you don't believe the Holy Spirit of God. He promised it. Just like he promised to forgive your sins, he promised to give you power to conquer temptation. So how are we going to go forward? Give me my ten things to do to conquer temptation. I'll memorize them. I'll put them into action. I'll remember to say my three verses every morning. I'll say them again at noon. I'll say them again at night. I'll memorize this prayer, and I'll repeat it 13 times a day, and then I'll have victory. No, you won't. Go lay hold of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, believe God, and watch him give you the victory. You with me tonight? Persuasion or performance? Which one does our flesh want? Tell me what to do. I'll do it. Seven steps to spiritual bliss and I'll memorize that book. And No, how about this? The author lives. He'll take his word make promises that apply to our lives and we believe him. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. We're going to believe him on that or not. Is that applicable to us tonight? Absolutely. But you know what our flesh wants? You just give me a program. I'll plug it in. Then I get the credit for how well things go. Rather than give me a person, I'll listen to him, believe what he has to say. And let him lead my life. I thought of this. Many times in prayer, you know what we're trying to do with prayer? Lord, would you please go with me into my day? I'm going to do this, this, and this. Would you please go with me and bless my work, bless my effort, bless my endeavor? Rather than, Lord, I'm starting this day ready to follow you, do whatever you tell me to do. You with me? One is, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and I want you to bless what I do. And the other is, you're God and know best how to lead me, and I'll just follow wherever you tell me to go. One requires faith and the other one does not. And so that's a lot of broad statement, but that's really what we're going to be looking at as we go through the book of Galatians. 
And what happened is the Galatians had come to believe that the Spirit of God could, could save them, that they would receive the Spirit of God by faith in Jesus Christ. They had done so, but somebody came along and says, no, no, you go back and you perform these things, and that's what really makes you righteous. And Paul is rebuking them for that. So he's going to start tonight by breaking down the fact that what they were being taught was different than what they had been taught. They had been taught the hearing of faith through the word of God by the preaching of Paul. Someone now is coming back and saying, no, it's not the hearing of faith, it's the works of the law. And those are two very different things. One is the the power of the flesh to perform, and the other is the power of God to perform. And so then we'll dive into this night. Again, by the time we get done with Galatians 3, Paul's going to really articulate what it means to use the law lawfully, uh, what is the purpose of the law, what it is not. And uh, but tonight our focus will remain on verse the first nine verses. So and forgive me for kind of going around about that a little bit, but I think we need to get a, a glimpse at what the book of Galatians is about and and how it's going to apply to us. By the time we get again chapter five, we talk about the works of the flesh or the fruit of the spirit, and I think we'll have a, a, a better picture of how we need to think not only about our salvation but our sanctification and service to God. So for tonight, let's look at these first nine verses. We'll break it into three parts. Beginning in verses 1 through 5, what we'll call the interrogation. Paul begins by asking the Galatians a number of questions. He charges them initially with folly. So if you're keeping notes tonight, the first point in Roman numeral number 1 is the interrogation. The interrogation begins with a charge. Now, I understand interrogation is asking questions, but he charges them with being foolish. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? that ye should not obey the truth. So he's going to have a line of questioning, but he starts with a charge, verse 1, that we've been looking at the last few weeks. He doesn't say, Oh, Galatians, are you foolish? Oh, Galatians, are you bewitched? No, he starts out by saying, You Galatians, and let me remind you, this was not one church. Many of the epistles are written to a church in a place, but if you remember in Galatians chapter 1, he's writing to the churches, plural, of Galatia, this false teaching, this Judaizing, this false gospel that says you're saved by grace and kept by works had crept in and they were being taught that you are spiritually perfected by going back to the law of Moses when that's not at all its intention. And so that had crept into all those churches. So he says to them, he charges them with folly. I'll say it again. I want you to envision tonight, we have a guest preacher come in, perhaps we could find whoever led you personally to Christ or led me personally to Christ. We bring a guest preacher in and he stands, he says, Oh, you, you members of Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church, you foolish people. Well, I, I, how many of us would tolerate that? I preached the other night in the jail to the men on the Syrophoenician woman and how Jesus called her a dog. And I asked him, I just asked the men, I said, if you visit our church, let's say you get released and you're out of jail. And you come and you say, you know what? We remember that preacher that came down. We're going to visit his church. And you walk in and, uh, and, and, and you need, you are burdened. You think, I need some help. I'm going to go to that church. And when you walk in, the members ignore you, act like you're not there. You walk up to me and say, Pastor Neil, do you remember me? And I won't even answer you. I look the other way. And the members start coming saying, hey, this guy, this guy was in jail. He doesn't belong here. Let's get him out. Pastor, he won't leave us alone. He keeps saying he wants to talk to you. He keeps saying he wants to talk to you, and he won't leave us alone. Would you please tell him to go away? I asked the guys in the jail, I said, how many of you would stay at church? They're like, no. So what if I said, well, you know, the guys are right. The church members are right. It's not appropriate to give spiritual things to a bunch of dogs like you. How many people would tolerate that? No way. Very offensive. That woman had great faith. You know why she stayed? She knew who Jesus was. If you and I can get nailed down who he is and what this book is, this is not man's best attempt at the word of God. Let me just say this again. The Bible is not man's best attempt at God's word. God gave us his word. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. That woman stayed with it, and so... Here's what happens. If you and I are going to go forward with the Lord, there are times, especially if we've been bewitched, that we're going to have to take some reproof. I told my wife the other day, I said, I believe this. If we can teach our children by the time they leave our home to not get offended at reproof from God, we have gone a long way in succeeding at raising them. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. They're the way of life. 
And so if we can learn to take correction and reproof, we'll be wise. That's, that's the, the overwhelming message of the book of Proverbs. So what does that have to do with Galatians? Everything. Here's a church that was on a fast track to death. These churches of Galatia were on a fast track to ruination. And Paul realizes if they get caught up in this false doctrine, they're done for. I think the average Christian does not understand the significance of doctrine. They do not understand doctrine results in deeds. What we believe results in what we do. And that's why we safeguard the doctrine of a local church. That's why there has to be a certain uh, agreement and adherence to Bible doctrines uh, amongst ourselves before we'll receive somebody in. Them that are weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations, Romans 14 says. And so there has to be an understanding. Doctrine is what either makes or breaks a church. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for... Number one, it's profitable for doctrine. That is teaching us what is true and teaching us what is right. May I say this? There's not room. There's not room for those who teach keeping the Sabbath to bring that into this church. We're not going back to that. Do we love people? Absolutely. That's why we don't make room for that doctrine, because we love people. That doctrine destroys churches. Uh, One of the reasons I named Calvinism, I don't desire, and I don't believe God wants Calvinism to be part of this church. A man uh, emailed some weeks ago and was asking about our doctrine, what we believe, and how we would handle certain doctrines. It was very clear there was a desire to know, will discussion over Calvinism be welcome in the church? I was kind in my email, but I was very clear. (laughs) No, we don't do that. Um, It's a false doctrine. We're not going to do that because it will destroy. This has everything to do with this. Paul says, you Galatians have received a doctrine that's leading you to false conclusions. You've been bewitched. So he charges them with folly. It's a strong charge. It's very interesting. As you study this, in in Luke 24, as Jesus was walking with two disciples on the road to Emmaus, you remember that, uh, what did Jesus call those two men he was walking with? Anybody remember? He said, oh, fools, and slow of heart to believe all that is written concerning the Christ, the Messiah in the Scriptures. What did he call them fools about? They weren't believing what God said. They weren't believing all that God said. You know why Paul's calling the Galatians foolish? You've quit believing what God said to you. God said to you that you are complete as far as justification, as far as everything's concerned before God. Christ and faith in Him completes it for you. You don't need anything more than that. You need nothing more than Christ. And, and faith in Him. It's by faith in Christ you receive the Holy Spirit of God. Nobody, now I mean you understand, no one under the law received the Holy Spirit of God like New Testament believers do. No one. Do you know why? He is received not by deeds, but by faith. And so then, uh, He charges them with being foolish. Not in anger, not in, in belittling, but in the fact that you are foolish because you've changed your belief structure. You've changed what you've believed from believing the truth to believing a lie. So he charges them with folly. Then he challenges them with a number of questions. Beginning in verse 2. So let's read verse 1 again. O foolish Galatians who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. You saw Christ and heard the gospel of his crucifixion very clearly. And verse 2. This only would I learn of you. So I want to learn. Now I've charged you. Now I want you to answer me some things. Now let's just think about this for a moment. They're getting an epistle. Is Paul actually going to get the, the, the questions answered to where he can hear them? He won't be there when they read the epistle. So why is he asking? The same reason we're often asked questions. I think Paul already knew the answer to every one of these questions. He wasn't asking that he might gain knowledge. He was asking that they might gain knowledge. He was asking them. And by the way, you study the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's constantly doing asking questions. He did not need an education. He needed those who heard him to get an education. So he's going to ask them. This only what I learn of you received ye the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Galatians, you received the Holy Spirit of God. Now that tells us that Paul is not telling them they're unsaved, but he's telling them that they've been deceived as saved people. How did you get the Holy Spirit? By keeping the Ten Commandments? There was a day when God said, wow, these people are so obedient to my law that we are now in perfect harmony and they get the Holy Spirit because they are obeying all the Ten Commandments perfectly. When Paul preached to the Galatians, you know what they were? Idolaters. 
They were not law keepers. They were law breakers. But God told them they would be justified by faith in Christ and they believed Him. And when they believed God, guess what they received? The Holy Spirit of God. Got a question for you. When did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Spirit of God by being a theologian or by having childlike faith? Childlike faith. You know how we're going to go forward spiritually? Same way. Let's get a lesson here. There are those who think, I got saved by childlike faith, but I'm going to be a spiritual mature person by being a deep theologian. No. You'll grow by childlike faith. There are those who say, you know what? I started out just by believing what the Bible says, but it's complicated, Pastor. I mean, once you get past salvation, spiritual life is complicated. Not really. Not really. And there are those that have stymied their spiritual growth by changing from just responding to the Spirit of God by childlike faith by saying, we have to explain everything the Bible says if we're going to mature. Nah, nah. We're not matured by keeping the law of Moses. We're not matured by being, you say, are you against being theologians? Well, it depends on what you mean by that term. If it means I have to explain everything that's in the Bible and explain away the things I don't think that should be in the Bible, no, (laughs) that's called unbelief. Much today that's done in the name of theology is based upon unbelief. I don't accept what the Bible says there, and I don't accept it. Do you realize how many theories have been formulated about errors in translation? Not because there are, but because someone came to something in the Bible they find hard to accept by faith. And so we have to explain, it can't mean this because I can't explain it. That's error, friend. You know what? These people are caught up in the same error. No, no, it's more noble, it's more noble to be someone who knows the law and uh, and, and is, is implementing... Let me ask you something. Which is more noticeable, your diet or your simple childlike faith? I'm talking about to men. If I change all my diet and say, well, I've come to light. You're not really a Christian if you eat pork, so I've stopped eating pork. I've come to light. You're not really a Christian if you meet on the first day of the week, but rather on the seventh. And so today, I'm going to meet on the seventh day. I don't eat pork anymore. We've started keeping the feasts. You know, all of a sudden, I've got all these tokens I can throw at fellow man to say, see, I'm righteous and you're not. Look what I do. Look what I do. Now, I believe that can translate all the way into, you know what, I'm righteous because I go to church on Sunday and I do this and I do this. Those are good things to do, but they're not what make us righteous. And so let me proceed. He, he begins to interrogate them. He says, concerning, he, he, he questions them concerning the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. This only would I learn of you. Received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? As I think of those two, those two contrasts, works of the law deals with my ability to perform. I'll give two P words. Performance or persuasion. Performance or persuasion. Did you get the Holy Spirit of God by your success at obeying God or by God's success at keeping what he promised? Whose ability to perform are you trusting? Yours or his? I love 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. The kings used that as their, their verse the Lord used to confirm God's call to go to Mexico. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Very important, though, to read the verses prior to that. Turn there with me if you would. And he does not do it against our will. He does it as we submit our will. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the context of this is sanctification. It's not salvation. It's sanctification. Paul had every confidence that God could sanctify his people. God is not weak. God is not incapable. God is not incapable of doing a miracle in our lives. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Bible says in verse 23, "...in the very God of peace..." sanctify you wholly. So context is not salvation. It's the perfecting of the, of the saint by sanctification. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. You know what Paul's saying? I have every confidence in God in his ability to sanctify you wholly. Here's what I believe does happen. A, a new believer gets saved, they get assurance of their salvation, but then they realize, because I'm saved, I should live differently than I used to. And someone comes along and says, you're right, and the key to moving forward is you have to follow our program for spiritual success. 
the Judaizers said, yes, we're glad you came to faith in Jesus Christ, but you realize you really got to go back and keep the law and you have to do this X, Y, and Z because what happens is after when you got saved, you realize you couldn't save yourself. But if we're not careful, we get in the Christian life and we're glad we're saved and we realize that this is not where God wants me to be and now we start looking for answers. Well, I know I'm not supposed to continue to live like I am. How am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to? I naturally am not honest. I am not naturally content. I am not naturally joyful. I am not naturally without murmuring and complaining. But my Bible says I'm supposed to live this way. How am I supposed to do it? And so we start looking for answers. Well, maybe I need to really modify my, maybe it's my diet. Maybe it's my schedule. Maybe it's my, maybe it's this and maybe it's that. And we start looking for all these How can I get rules to make sure that I'm sanctified? Hey, you get sanctified the same way you got saved. God makes you a promise about His ability, not about yours. And when you and I take Him by faith, He does what God can do. Say, how do I have faith enough to give? Ask God for it. (laughs) He'll give it to you. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. How do I change the patterns of my thought? I naturally think lustful thoughts. Hey, I think a God that can forgive your sins can change your mind. Does he not promise to give us victory? You see, we live by faith. We live dependent on his power, not on ours. And yet, this is why false doctrines flourish. If I can live the Christian life in my power, I get credit for my sanctified living. But if I live the Christian life by His power, the same person who gets credit for my salvation gets credit for my sanctification. And he gets credit for my ability to serve. Someone says, they look at it naturally, I could never go do that. I can never be a missionary in a foreign field. I don't have the courage. I don't have the boldness. I don't have the personality. Well, if God hasn't called you, don't worry about it. But if God did call you, he'll enable you to do what he called you to do. Amen? Are we living by faith? We're we living by flesh. You see, the Galatians had started well. They had started out believing they were saved by what God did for them. But they believed the way forward in Christian living was by what they did in the power of their flesh. And God says, not so. And so then Paul begins to interrogate them. How did you get the Holy Spirit in the first place? Uh, He charges them with folly and then he challenges them with questions concerning the presence of the Spirit, concerning the perfecting of the saints. Look at verse 3. Are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? So you start getting saved by faith and you finish by performance of your own strength and power? Is that how? I mean, the Bible says this. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, Colossians 2, 7, I believe it is. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, root and built up in him, established in the faith. Meaning we never stop going by trusting him. If you trusted him for pardon, trust him for power. His death guarantees our pardon. His life guarantees our victory. We live by faith in who? Him. It is the Spirit of God that regenerated you. It is the Spirit of God that will guide you. It is the Spirit of God that will give you life, strength, and power to be what you ought to be as a Christian. It's not a document. It's a person. It's the breath of God that gave us this document. It's the breath of God that applies it in our life. God is living and able to say, this is my promise, not just generally to you. This is what applies to you today. The promise of asking it shall be given you, seeking ye shall find, knocking it shall be opened unto you. Do we actually believe that? How many of you, when you called on Christ to save, you believed that he would? Yet we get to asking it shall be given you, seeking ye shall find, knocking it shall be opened. Like, I tried that, that didn't work. So I'm not going to live by faith anymore. I'm going to figure out my own way to live for God. That ain't going to work. <laughs> Do we begin in the spirit and we finish in the flesh? No, no, no. Paul says he challenges them concerning the presence of the Holy Spirit. He challenges them concerning the perfecting of the saints. Let me ask you something. When you got saved, whose idea was it first for you to get saved? Yours or God's? God's. Man wouldn't even know he needs to be saved. God didn't tell him. We'd be so deceived and fooled by our sin, we'd think we were fine. But God in his love and mercy has put things around us to show us we're lost, we're sinful, that we're out of fellowship with Him. He sends preachers our way to tell us, you are condemned. He sent us a Bible and gave us a Bible so we can know that we're condemned and know how to be forgiven. So it was God's idea to save you in the first place. You got saved when you agreed with Him. 
He told you you're lost. He told you how to be saved. He told you that He wants to save you and you said, okay, I want what you want. He did what He wanted. Does that make sense? God did not save you against your will. He worked with your will, persuaded you of your need. When you submitted your will to His will, He saved you. It's the same way with spiritual progress. God says, this is where you are, this is where I want you to be, and this is how you get from where you are to where you need to be. Man, something. I said this morning, churches need boldness. Would we agree with that? How many of you think Bonner's Great Baptist Church has all the boldness we need? Not on your life. How many of us think, just for a moment, if we would, every one of us, make it our daily prayer request, Lord, would you please give me boldness in proclaiming your word? How many of us think the Lord would do it? If we don't think it, we ought to be at this altar tonight. Because he said, ask and it shall be. How many of us believe God wants us to be bold? How many of us can be honest and say we're not as bold as we ought to be? I'll leave my hand up. How do we get from where we are to where we need to be? Asking shall be given you. Seeking you shall find. Knocking shall be opened unto you. How many of us think we need more laborers on the mission field? You know one of the number one reasons we don't have them? Because we don't ask for them. I'm convinced, friends... We'd get more done in missions if we just asked the Lord to send forth laborers. So why do you say that? It's called the hearing of faith. He said, pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. He said, ask and it shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. If we're not laying hold of that promise, you know what we would rather do? How can we formulate a program of our own thinking to get more laborers on the field? Now, I'm fine with planning and organizing. But if we start using business recruiting methods to get missionaries on the field, you know what? They're going to come home. Because they will have gone in the power of the flesh. They'll come home in the power of the flesh. But if we pray the Lord of the harvest and he actually is expected to keep his own word, he'll do it. We've watched it in this church, this little bitty church. God, raise up and send forth labors. Well, that's done. Let's don't pray for any more. So we're going to, well, how can we replicate this? What can we do? Let's come up with a 10-step program to send out 20 missionaries over the next 30 years. How about let's do what he said and ask him and see what he'll do. You with me tonight? Or are we going to live this life by flesh or by faith? And the Galatians had, had learned that the Lord was living, that he had saved them, that he could lead them. But now they're reverting to, no, we'll just go back to keeping the law. And Paul says, no, did you receive the Spirit by, by the works of, of the law, by what you were doing, or by believing what God promised? That's what the hearing of faith is. Uh, the perfecting of the saints. Let's be reminded of Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, one of the most precious verses in the Bible, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You want a good lesson, message verse on eternal security. Who began the work in you to, of saving you? He did. Well, isn't he going to perform it until he calls you home? Yeah, it was he who gave you eternal life. He who's going to maintain that. What happens is we start looking to something else and trusting something else other than the one who saved us to perfect us, to grow us. And so Philippians 2, 12 and 13 talks about uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's not like God saved you and said, good luck, have a good trip, hope you can do the best you can, figure this out on your own. I love John 14. John 16 talks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the believer. He is with us to guide us into all truth. This is why I have zero patience today for believers who act like the truth is something God is hiding behind his back and nobody can know really what to believe. We're all just guessing at what's true. Hope that works out for you. That means the Spirit of God is not doing what God promised he would do. Or perhaps we're not believing him. He gave us a book full of... Do you know how many promises are in the Bible that are applicable to the New Testament believer? One of the reasons we're not seeing God do much in our lives, is we're not believing him much. He's given us some definite promises. If you lack wisdom, let him ask, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. 
Let not that man think that he should receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. May I say tonight, the Spirit of God is living and able to grow us and perfect us and lead us through His Word, just like He led us to salvation. He's able to lead us through sanctification, into service, and into, into the, the will that He has for our lives. So Paul questions them concerning the presence of the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, the perfecting of the saints. Verse 3, he questions them concerning the purpose for suffering. Verse 4, have you suffered so many things in vain? You see, the Galatians had suffered for their newfound faith in Christ. Obviously, Christ had changed them. Obviously, the presence of the Holy Spirit of God had changed some things in their lives so that their world reacted to them and they were suffering for the gospel. And he said, was it all in vain? What you've suffered, it was over believing a lie? Really? (laughs) What is the purpose for your suffering if you didn't believe the truth in the first place? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He said, I'm not saying it's actually really in vain. When I ask you this, you need to think about what you've suffered for. Was it all a waste of time? I mean, if you can be saved by the works, then what I preach to you means nothing. You suffered for believing a lie. And so he's challenging them. Have you suffered in vain? A lot of people should. It's amazing how many people I've met that say, oh, yeah, I got saved in a Baptist church. Remember a lady I met when I first came here. She is a messed up in Messianic Judaism and all this stuff. Believing that there's some prophecies in Ezekiel about the, the, the northern and southern tribes one day being reunited. And she wants to liken that to the replacement of Israel with the church and all this stuff. But she has a testimony of salvation. I couldn't shake her. She said, I was saved in a Baptist church. And I'm going to start saying, who hath bewitched you? <laughs> Honestly, because now they're all messed up in a works-based religion. What, what happened to you? Where did you get off track? Why did you gravitate towards something's about what you can do rather than what God can do? And I don't mean that Baptists have it all right. I don't mean to say that. When we veer off from the truth, friend, uh, something's, we ought to think about, wait a minute, where was I? When I first got saved... And people were mocking me. Were they mocking me for, for my false religion or for believing the truth? And anyway, they had suffered many things. And Paul says, what are you suffering for? Was it in vain? Were you suffering when you didn't have to? Meaning, guess who had caused their original suffering? The same people they're listening to now. The same people that had disregarded them, the same people that had mocked them, the Judaizers were known for causing... Who was it stoned Paul over and over? It wasn't the Gentiles. It was the Jews whose conscience were pricked because they were defending their own righteousness. You know who had caused the Galatians to suffer? I'll guarantee you. He said, you didn't have to go through that. You should have just believed them in the first place instead of believing the gospel. i got news for you. You will not suffer. You will not suffer for being part of a false religion in America today, but you'll suffer for standing for the truth of the gospel. And so then Paul challenges the purpose of their suffering and then the provision of their spiritual things. Verse 5, He therefore that... So they had the Holy Spirit in them, but He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit. So those that were spiritually gifted by the Holy Spirit were ministering the the ministry of the Holy Spirit to them. Paul could be possibly referring to himself here, verse 5. He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? If you've watched a miracle in your life, I'll guarantee you it's somebody responding by faith to the Word of God. Not going through a program and saying, because I have dotted my I's and crossed my T's according to the law of God, now I can perform spiritual things. No, when you see miracles done is when we take God at his word, when he applies it to our life, and we say, I believe God. George Mueller, God did many miracles through that man. Truly, miracles. Documented. He was meticulous about documenting his miracles. Not his miracles. The miracles God wrought on their behalf through prayer because he wanted to make sure this was not... Uh, it wasn't glamorized. He wanted to make sure that it wasn't gotten a hold of as some kind of an odd charismatic thing. He wanted to make sure, I want to document very clearly the need we had, the fact that we did not ask one living human being for help, and God provided. Now, you know what he did? He would take, he would take, he took the verse on the fact that God cares for the fatherless and the widows, and he would pray that. And he said, God, you've said you're a father to the fatherless, and I've got all these hundreds of fatherless children I'm counting on you keeping your word to provide for them. I know you're a God of your word, and I'm counting on you. God didn't look down and say, because Mueller is keeping the Sabbath so meticulously, and he circumcised his children, and because he is keeping all the feasts as he should, now I'm going to provide for those kids. God said, because I'm a God of my word, and that man is trusting me to keep my word, I'm going to do what I said. 
You see the difference? God does not look at you and say, oh, look at you. Wow, you are such a perfect performer that I am duty-bound to bless you for that. No, no, no. We, God promised, he promised to justify those that believe on his son. Did he not? Do you know where you have assurance of your salvation? God, you promised if I trust your son, you'd save me. I know that I am saved today because you are a God who keeps your word. Amen. And so then uh, he says, He that ministereth to you the spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? By what he is able to perform or by what God is able to perform? Romans ten seventeen reminds us, So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let me ask you something. Does God still speak today? Does the Holy Spirit of God literally speak to the heart of men today? He does. If we're willing to hear him by faith. He still speaks today. Can we take him at his word? So when the Spirit of God is directing us to take a step of obedience, should we hesitate? But do we sometimes? You know why? I'm not sure that I can't. It's not about what I can do. It's about what he can do. Amen? It's not about am I able to live up to his expectations. Is he able to keep his own Word, I promise you, you and I will never live by faith and get, and get corrupted. That's what Galatians 5 is all about. Verse 16, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Some will accuse this kind of teaching. If you're going to lead people into sin. If they don't have some set of, of, of how-tos on how to be righteous, they'll live in sin. If you're trusting the Spirit of God, I promise you, you'll not end up in anything but Holy. He will not lead you and direct you to lie. He will not lead you and direct you to violate his will. But you're not going to perform it by trusting your power to perform. You will by trusting his. So Paul questions them concerning the presence of the Holy Spirit, the perfecting of the saints, the purpose for suffering, and the provision of their spiritual things. He that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? We know the answer to every one of those. It's all by the hearing of faith. Verse 6. He says, and now we're going to give them an illustration. Even as, he said, what I'm talking about is just like this. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He's going to mention, we'll mention two things in this illustration. He talks of Abraham's assurance, Abraham believed God, and Abraham's account. And God, it, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Romans 4 gives us some good commentary on this verse. Look at Romans 4 very quickly and we'll try to wrap this up soon. The bulk of this is here at the beginning. Romans chapter 4 verse 1. He's going to talk about Abraham being justified by faith and not by works. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness, even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? He's going to explain. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also, and the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham which he had being yet uncircumcised. When was it that God promised to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation and you all, shall all the families of the earth be blessed? When he was a circumcised man or uncircumcised? Uncircumcised. He wasn't even keeping any semblance. The law wasn't written, number one. But what you might find in the law, he wasn't keeping. But he was righteous. This is why those who would teach that you are saved by grace and works or faith and works under the old covenant are not teaching truth. Abraham was justified by faith and works or by faith? Faith. It's justified by faith. God promised. By the way, how many kids did Abraham have when God made him this promise? Mm, zero. 
Genesis 12, he made the promise. Genesis 13, he made the promise. Genesis 17. And all three of those, the Bible talks about, is counted to him for righteousness. At that time, he had no children, meaning he had to believe that God would do what he promised. A miracle, an impossible miracle. Abraham was too old. His wife was too old to have children. But he believed God anyway. And when he believed God, God counted him for righteousness. God didn't say, hey, if you believe me enough to get circumcised, I will make you righteous. No, he counted him for righteousness before that. The circumcision was a symbol of the righteousness which he already had. That's what he means by a sign, by faith. And so it articulates it very clearly that the keeping of the law has nothing to do with making us righteous. It's faith in God's promise. And he uses Abraham as his illustration. Abraham believed God and God counted it to him for righteousness. When did Abraham get out of sorts or off track spiritually? God had promised to make of Abraham a great nation. God had promised that in him would all the families of the earth be blessed. And you find a couple of accounts in Abraham's life where he got off course. It's hard, it is hard to be a great nation and to produce children when you're dead. Would you all agree with that? But there was a point where Abraham was so afraid that the Egyptians would kill him. What did he do? He lied. He trusted his flesh instead of the word of God. Now, he lost his salvation, didn't he? No, he did not. <laughs> he, had, he had a lapse in faith. He made an error, a sin. When he lied to the Egyptians, when he lied to the, uh, to the Philistines, he did the same thing. And then he decided with Sarah's counsel, this isn't going to happen unless we help God. Paul will use this later in this in Galatians as an illustration. Hagar and Ishmael. Ishmael is what the flesh can produce. Abraham said, I know God promised, but God's not keeping his word. I've got to come up with a plan to help him do this. And he and Sarah come up with a plan for him to take Hagar, and he did, and produced Ishmael, who is not the promised seed. The flesh cannot produce anything good. When did Abraham produce? When he just simply trusted God. God said this is what he would do, and I take him at his word. So he uses Abraham as an illustration. He was not justified by keeping the works of the law. He was justified by faith. And then finally, he gives them some final instruction, verses 7 through 9. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Uh, there were those, this is an important statement. There were those that claimed their place of favor with God was because of their, their lineage from Abraham. Jesus had to deal, and John the Baptist with those that said, think not to say you have Abraham to your father. God is able these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Don't you think you're justified because of your genealogy? A person is not saved because they're born an Israelite. That's made very clear. Israel also doesn't, the church doesn't replace Israel as a nation. Don't misunderstand that. But those who are of the line of Abraham that are Jews by their birth are not justified by their physical birth. And that's what Paul's referring to. You're not children of Abraham because you're circumcised. You're not children of Abraham because you keep the law. Abraham was justified when there was no law, and he's justified outside the law by faith. If you want to have what Abraham has, you have to be of faith. The children of Abraham are those who trust God like Abraham trusted God. So, verse 7, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Not they that are circumcised, they that are of faith. Paul's correcting error. Letter B, under the, his instruction, verse 8. So he gives a declaration, verse 7. He's going to give the defense for that declaration in verse 8. He says, and the Scripture. You know what Paul's going to base his teaching on? Bible. <laughs> and the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen, the Gentiles, through faith. So when the Scripture was written, the author of the Scripture foresaw that God would justify not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles through faith, Preached before, what, would, what did Abraham have preached to him? Before Jesus ever came to earth. The gospel. Preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Is that not what Genesis 12 says? That in you shall all nations be blessed? God foreseeing that you're not going to be justified by your, 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 your blood in your veins. You're not going to be justified by your relation to the Mosaic law. You're going to be justified by faith. He made a promise to Abraham. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you. What's the fulfillment of that promise? His name is Jesus Christ. All nations of the earth are blessed through faith in Jesus Christ. And God foresaw that. Preach the gospel to Abraham. I'm going to bless the entire nations of the earth through your seed. He'll deal with that. Not seeds as of many. Seed as of one. Jesus Christ. And so he's defending his statement. The scripture was written in such a way you should understand you're not saved by keeping the law because of the promise God made to Abraham. The scripture foresaw God's plan. We're getting instruction on how to use scripture here. 
And then he gives his final determination, verse 9. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. You are not blessed with faithful Abraham through circumcision. You are blessed with faithful Abraham through faith. There were those who were, you know what circumcision is? It is, a, it is a modification of the flesh. There are those who say, oh, you have the blessings of God through your diet. Look, at, we may need to mind the Spirit of God and adjust our diet, but what you eat doesn't make you righteous. What you don't eat doesn't make you righteous. How much you eat or don't eat doesn't make you righteous. It's faith in Jesus Christ that makes you righteous. Amen? We need this. We need to be reminded there are so many variant doctrines out here that focus not on what God will do because he promised, but what we do and how we perform. Now, I understand we ought to be faithful, but you know what? We'll be, you know what's the key to faithfulness? It's the first word in the word. Faith. Trusting not myself to perform, but trusting him to perform what he promised. Every forward progress in my spiritual life has always come by faith. God said this in his word, and he cannot lie. And therefore, I'm going to take him at his word. Whether it's victory over temptation in the flesh, whether it is the ability to perform something he's called me to do. You know what? When I think about the ability to give the gospel to someone else, if I think about me and my ability to do that, I quit. I quit. But if I realize, he said, Lo, I'm with you always. Think about how the Lord Jesus Christ stood on the truth of the gospel in the face of great adversity. The contradiction of sinners against himself. Look at his ability. I like to think of it this way. When it comes to temptation, how many of our temptations has he been touched by? He has been tempted in all points like as we are. How did he do in handling the things we're tempted with? He conquered them all. So when I approach my temptations, should I focus on what I'm able to do or focus on what he's able to do? Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory. Unto him be glory. The Christian life tonight was begun by faith, it is continued by faith, and it must be finished by faith. Not by the works of the law, not by the ability of you and I to perform in the power of our flesh, but his ability to perform according to his own word. Is the only thing God promised to the believer salvation, is that the only thing he promised? No. That's where it all begins for us. He's promised sanctification. He's promised power. He's promised strength. He's promised the ability to finish our course well if we'll live it by faith, trusting his ability to perform what he's promised to do. I don't know how this applies in your life tonight. It may help you with assurance of salvation. It may say, you know what, the reason I'm floundering is I keep looking to me. I got news for you. There's many areas in my Christian life I floundered for a long time because I was trying to figure out how to do it in my strength and my ability without having to go to God and his word and simply say, okay, Lord, you promised this. And I'm going to trust you to do what you promise. Once I come to the end of myself and say, you know what? I know the reason I've been trying to do this is because I want, <laughs> it's pride. I want the honor. I want the glory. But when I can come to the end of my, my dependence on me and say, okay, Lord, I just want to do this because it pleases you. And, and you saved me. You've made me just and righteous. You've saved me. And I'm going to trust you to give me what I need. It's amazing how he'll do what I cannot. 